Welcome to the True Falls Film Festival. Hi, welcome to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. I'm Sebastián Martínez Valdivia. One of the most compelling aspects of filmmaking for me is how it can work as a mode of perception. A film can never exactly capture how we experience a moment or time passing, but it can evoke those sensations through its structure or editing or cinematography. In this week's episode, we talk with a filmmaker whose films reflect that conflict, True False alum Sophie Rambari. She's a Toronto-based filmmaker who has primarily worked in the world of non-fiction shorts, including Pumpkin Movie, which screened at True False 2018. Two of Rambari's recent films center on dogs, whose presences in our lives are often deeply meaningful, yet fleeting. So Norman Norman is a film that uh, I shot with my um, almost 18-year-old Shih Tzu. Um, and it was sort of near the end of his end of his life. I knew he was coming to sort of the end of his life, and I really wanted to capture um, him in those moments, but also me desperately not wanting to accept that it was the end of his life. Um, and I wanted to do it in a way that could be relatable to other people, because I know that that's a very very common experience. So I that was part of the reason I cropped myself like my head out of it. To, you know, I think. Maybe it like allows you to place yourself into that experience a little bit more, but also it, it focuses on on him and his face and his sort of um, ambivalence to the situation and the you know the impending um, <laughs> facing of mortality, which I find honestly a little bit funny. <laughs> and Norman was just he was a very funny dog to me, and and he he meant so much to me that it it was really important for me to to capture those moments, and I'm so, so glad I have that now because it really feels like a capsule, and it's, like, such a treasure to get to, like, visit him on the big screen now or, like, what any screen. Um, so it's it's a special, it's a really special film, and the fact that other people are able to relate to it has been really special as well. It's interesting that you, you said that you, find, you found kind of, like, humor in it because when I was watching, I was... 100% in the mode of like someone who's lost a dog and is only thinking about that and so I'm like you know being tremendously affected by the moment when you start petting him for example like that stands out um, but there are obviously humorous things like the guy who cloned his dog Woofy for example and like all of the the news clips that you have of people cloning their animals yeah so th- that was something that you were aware of when you were making it is trying to put some humor in I think it's just an inherently kind of funny um situation like how desperate um human beings become in those moments and i think that (laughs) we learn a little bit from the canine perspective and just they're very present and they're very um you know they're very cognizant of like how we're feeling so they absorb a lot of those emotions that's why the human dog really our human yeah human dog relationship is so um powerful is that we just see whatever we want to reflected back from them but I think it's I think it's funny like watching myself go down this like YouTube rabbit hole and he's just like whatever Sophie like let's just <laughs> hang out. <laughs> he's just laying on your lap. Yeah, 
And the whole like Barbra Streisand thing isn't, you know, it's it's wild. Like, and that's why that's why I thought to make the film was a lot of people sent me the um, New York Times article when she cloned her dogs, and they all knew I had a very old dog, and they were like, "Hey, look what you can do now," kind of facetiously. But I was like, "That's that's wild," and I thought it'd be interesting to investigate like what that it actually takes to to clone a dog. And then when I started doing the research, I realized that the research was the film. Like, putting that into the film was really the context. Um, and then just juxtaposing it with images of him. And it was really just that simple. Yeah. And, it, I mean, the, the thing that you said about dogs kind of being a reflection of us, we see what we want in dogs. Mm-hmm. They're also a reflection of time passing in a lot of ways because we become tremendously attached to these things that we know we're eventually going to, like, be mourning. Mm-hmm. And so you also did this other project in Dog Years, which is uh, interviews with, you know, older dog owners. Um, and, again, you focus only on the dogs. You never see any of the owners' faces. But is that another aspect of, of, of dogs that is, is kind of intriguing to you or appealing to you, this, this idea of mm-hmm. time passing? Yeah, absolutely. I think... As someone with a lot of anxiety and a lot of existential dread, <laughs> I think dogs kind of highlight that because of that compressed amount of time that you get to spend with them and the intensity of that love. And I think it highlights, um, for me anyway, thinking about your own your own life and your own mortality. And that's something I asked a lot of the people that I interviewed um, in that film was in, in thinking of like your dog coming to the end of its life does it make you reflect on your own life and does it make you reflect on your own mortality at all? And, and some people like straight avoided the question and some people really dug into it. And some people were just like shocked to be asked such a question when they were like, I'm just talking about my old dog, (laughs) but some people really took to it and they, and they agreed and they, you know, talked about how it, it's a kind of a perspective that it gives you, um, in helping a, a creature or like a dog, die like you're you're kind of shepherding it out of its you know time on earth and it's um it's really devastating because they can't do anything or say anything and it's so the burden is like kind of entirely on the on the person and because dogs are so empathetic they they don't want you to feel badly so it's this like terrible (laughs) and tremendously traumatic like back and forth where they're just like don't be sad and you're like but you're leaving because they don't necessarily realize that (laughs) yeah they just don't want you to be sad yeah 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 not related to dogs but related to and like you said film is like a time capsule and and having these memories and kind of examining um these different time periods the film that you did about your grandma's house Mm -hmm. kind of also is 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 similar in, in that sense of like you're holding two different times you know, in one place simultaneously. Mm. What was the impetus behind behind that film um, and, and the way that you approached it? Sure. So my, my family is from Hungary. They were, um, my whole family was born there besides myself, and I had never been. Um, and it was really important to me to, to go there and to, to see it um, because my family kind of lost touch with theirs when they left. So I had met my grandmother once when I was a child. She came and visited us, but then after that, I had never met her again, and I wanted to go and see her at least one more time. Um, so I planned this trip, and I was planning to meet a whole bunch of my family, but unfortunately, she passed away like two months before I went. Um, but I did have access to her apartment through um, a family member she wanted to show me because it was the same apartment that my mother grew up in, Oftentimes in Hungary, the, the apartments just get passed down through the families, so they just they stay generation after generation. 
so I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to go, um, even though it was all being boxed up and it was kind of a devastating kind of way to see that space. But I, I was there for like half an hour and my aunt gave me a stack of photos and she was like, here's photos of your grandma and some of your other family members. And I just happened to like be holding a photo that was taken in the same room that I was in. And I had my camera with me and I just wanted to, to document the space and that idea. I think it's a common um, kind of concept. I've seen that done before, but I mostly wanted to document it for my mom because I knew she would never get to see that place again. And I knew that maybe she would, re she would remember more of the photos than she would remember the space. So it was like a, a reminder and then mm -hmm. the showing of how it looked now. And it really, yeah, it was just like a desperate attempt to like document. That's filmmaker Sophie Ramvari. Coming up after the break, Ramvari talks about how she first got into filmmaking and specifically nonfiction. It was more that like I had made a film that people started calling a documentary. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what that is. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. Let's get back to our conversation with filmmaker Sophie Ramvari. I was wondering if, if you could maybe explain or try to explain why you're in filmmaking, what drew you to that, and how you, how you first got started out making films. Sure. Um, I think a lot of people's answers have to do with, you know, watching films when they were very young and wanting to um, become a director. Um, and knowing it from a very young age, that was not at all the case for me. I always liked watching movies, but I, I never considered um, even who was making them until I was like much older. But it wasn't until I was going into university, um, I really wanted to be an actor, actually. And I got rejected from every acting school that I auditioned for. Um, and then when I got rejected from the acting programs, I applied for a film program as like a backup, and I got into the film program but then as soon as I was in it I was like oh this feels right yeah so then I started to study more film and watch more film and it, it kind of all clicked because I had liked so many other art forms um, leading up to that point and I realized that it was really just all different like entry points into film so then when I started doing it it's it, it felt right since then but it, it wasn't until I was like 19 20. That it all kind of came together. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you say that like that's really late on, but 19 and 20 is, is still pretty young to, to start making films. I, I think that maybe it's a, a bit of a gendered thing that mostly men discover earlier. You know, I think just obviously there's just more role models to, to, to imagine yourself as as a director. I think, um, you know, now things are, are changing on that front. But I think growing up, I was never like, I want to be... Martin Scorsese or something, you know, like you don't imagine yourself in those roles necessarily. You imagine, I probably imagine myself as an actress because that's what I saw and what was like available to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think definitely something that I've heard from filmmakers who I've talked to is they don't even, like when they were kids, they didn't even realize that that was something that you could do even, yeah. like make films. You just like kind this. of imagine the actors are making the film or something. Like you don't imagine like the the entire concept of the, the making of the film is a little bit um, hidden from you until you start to like pick it apart. Like I remember watching um, like the Royal Tenenbaums when I was like a teenager and uh, I remember seeing 
the production design and I was like, whoa, like someone had to like make those choices. <laughs> someone had to decide those things. And I, that was like one of the moments that fascinated me first about, which is so typical. Like I saw a Wes Anderson movie <laughs> and I wanted to be a filmmaker. But no, it, I, I remember specifically seeing like the polka dotted mice and I was like, this is like a world that someone built. Like these are not things that just exist. And I thought that was um, really, that really intrigued me. So I think I wanted to be a production designer before I even wanted to be a director. Mm-hmm. Now I don't even do production design to my films. Because so. <laughs> you work in documentary. Yeah. Not that you can't do production design <laughs> yeah, documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but speaking of that, how did you end up within the field of documentary? Because when you started out, you did more like, n- not typical, but you know more traditional, I guess, narrative style films. So how did you end up working primarily in the documentary space? I guess uh, all my answers were like, oh, by accident. Um <laughs> I, I don't think I ever consciously was like, okay, now I'm going to start making documentaries. It was more that like I had made a film that people started calling a documentary. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what that is. And I, and I enjoy the documentary world a lot. And I think there's just a lot more conversations around ethics and, um, you know, the, the reason that people make films and the conscious sort of effort to be, um, you know, actively seeking like, representation in your films in a, in a way that's a little more real like I think with fiction film they still consider these things but I think that you can get away with a lot more whereas with documentary it's immediately there's a question around you know power dynamics and exploitation and these things which um, are you know ever-changing and you know it's so easy to make a mistake on that front but I think at least you have to be confronting it which I really I like about the documentary world but I didn't, um, I still don't actively think of myself as like a documentary filmmaker, but I do find the community is really inviting and really um, just a little bit more low key in the fiction world. Yeah. But I printed out one of your tweets. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to print out a tweet. And so uh, you can take this with you after, oh, so after the interview. Oh my God. If you want. <laughs> Um, but this this was something that really like struck a chord for for me um, as a filmmaker and, and the way that I think about film. Uh, I'm just going to read it. Um, sure. But you you tweeted today. I realized the strong connection I feel between filmmaking and mindfulness. When I film a place, I try to depict all the details of the present moment: sound of a fan clicking, a shadow on the wall, the color of the floor, etc. This is the very same experience as the psychological process of bringing one's attention to experiences occurring in the present moment. You're meant to take in the space around you and all its finer details in order to feel grounded in the present. And so that's that's something that really struck a chord because I, I, I feel like I've, I've experienced like something similar in my life. These moments where your perception is somehow different. Um, you're completely aware of everything around you, or at least you feel like you are, mm-hmm. and you experience it totally different. And it didn't make any sense to me. I didn't have any way of kind of uh, parsing it until I started making films and understanding that that's what I'm doing in filmmaking. So how did you come to that realization? I think that fil- film is uh, it's never going to be an experiencing of, of now. It's always going to be something from the past, like immediately. But I think that we're always trying to, desperately capture those moments and I think um, a lot of detail goes into those moments that you have to be really conscious of um, and like maybe more conscious than you are in your in your day-to-day life I think when you're watching a film and you have like a frame presented to you your eyes are like searching and you're trying to take in everything that's in that frame and those all those choices are 
um, like formal decisions or, or decisions that someone made to include and are representing that present moment. But it's it's always like it's always fleeting. I think I, I came up literally in a in a therapy session when uh, my therapist was like walking me through a a, a a mindful sort of meditation, and I just noticed this like beautiful shadow on the wall from the lace curtain, and I was really listening to all the sounds and and I my first thought was like oh this would be such a nice shot in a film <laughs> which is maybe kind of a, you know strange when you're trying to meditate well you tweeted this in june it's okay if the answer is is no but i'm just curious is this something that you've thought about in in the work that you've done since then in the intervening months um like i i really i do i do use twitter kind of as like a an active like um diary and i'm often surprised to look back at the things that i've said but (laughs) (laughs) not not in a bad way but i'm just i'm surprised sometimes how candid i am and how vulnerable I am actually mm-hmm. um which is also something I I try to be or I am in my films it's not even try to be I can't help it almost um and I think this specific tweet is something that I'm actively trying to implement like in my day-to-day life so I've probably thought about it more on that level than I have in a, on a filmmaking level um and I haven't shot anything in the last couple of months I have a couple of things that I'm I'm working on, and I, I think, yeah, you know, what? in a way, I, I have been thinking about it because I've been thinking a lot about how to capture, um, capture conversations in a way that is is more true to life and and similarly to like Pumpkin Movie, I guess. And for people who might be listening who aren't familiar with Pumpkin Movie. Um, the premise is essentially you're Skyping your friend and you're talking about experiences you've had, negative experiences you've had with, with men, just, you know, existing around men, mm-hmm. which can be a very negative experience <laughs> in general. Right. Um, but, but it, it, it is kind of, it does seem like a, a pretty natural conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember after in, in the Q and A, after you screened it at True False, um, you explained that, well, actually, you know, these were stories that you had kind of collated, um, and that you were both you know, reciting kind mm-hmm. of, um, but, but it seemed like a very natural conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think even just like as a conceit more like the, with the pumpkin movie, it was the conceit was that this was a tradition, um, which, it, you know, it was not to a lot of people's disappointment apparently. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's about helping foster like an environment for those conversations to take place in because I'm, I'm just interested in, in, watching people have conversations and and being part of conversations and and if there's a way to film those conversations in a way that um can be like a a peek behind the curtain into like those into those private moments but i think those conversations oftentimes reveal really relatable things and and things that everyone could benefit from hearing which is part of what um i would like to do in my in my future work is just find ways to create narratives around you know those conversations so they can be elevated to like a a film experience a lot of the work that you've done uh, most of the work you've done so far has been short films primarily Mm -hmm. most of the time when we learn about filmmaking and we're learning about filmmakers it's in the context of feature-length films you know these great works that people have done Mm -hmm. um that you go to the theater to watch people usually don't think about shorts when they're when they're learning about filmmaking Mm -hmm. um and yet it's 
the form that most filmmakers work in when they're starting out. Mm -hmm. So as to the form itself, how, how do you think about it when you're, you know, planning an idea, when you have an idea for a film? I really love short films, to be honest. And I, did, I feel like I wouldn't make a feature um, if I didn't feel like I had to, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I am developing a feature right now, which I'm really excited about. But I think um, it's... It's really, it's dependent on how you like to tell stories. And I think with a feature, you have to develop um, an arc and you have to have like an investment in like character development and all these things. And with my shorts, I barely have that at all. It's just like a, a moment or even just a feeling or like a, um, it's more, you can count more on like things like body language and smaller interactions that are coming across, but you can't sustain I mean I don't imagine I can sustain that in a feature and I guess it's just something I have to um a fear I have to conquer and I'm trying to think of ideas that are can be segmented um into like several parts in terms of a feature so it's it's more just my own insecurity of like how how could I possibly make something that sustains that amount of time that someone would want to watch for like that long because I, I I think with short films you have a real um opportunity to just whisk someone away for like a few minutes and and show them something and then, then th send them on their way and it's and it can be really impactful um i think the only unfortunate thing with shorts is that people are often told and trained to make a short that is essentially just a very compressed feature and that's where a lot of i think short filmmakers end up feeling disappointed or um overburdened by like the task of making a, a, a short film because they feel like they have to do all that within a short film but really it's an opportunity to do the opposite where you can just try out like maybe you have an idea for um, a camera a camera move you want to try or um, a kind of color color correction you want to do or just something that you want to experiment with you can do that in a short film and you can do it with like very little to no money and I think it's unfortunate that, you know, filmmakers are kind of forced into thinking they have to make something that's like going to basically be a calling card and and prove that they can make a feature. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if that's someone's end goal, then that it totally makes sense. But I think there should be more emphasis on just letting short films be short films and just and, and then having them be a valid like you know, a form of, of movie making. Because you, you really have the opportunity to explore, like, specific details. Or if, like, you know, you're just existing as a person and you see an image that sticks with you, mm. you can, you know, use a short film to explore that specific image in a little more depth than if it was part of a, a larger project or something. Yeah, it kind of it alleviates the pressure a little bit. And I'm always talking about, like, lowering the stakes for yourself. And I always recommend to filmmakers when they're just starting out, like, just make a film that, like, you're not going to show anyone try and see how that feels and and you know nine times out of ten you're gonna feel excited about it and want to show people but if you go into it with the idea that you're just making it for yourself you're probably going to make something that's more true to yourself and also something that you feel you're not trying to you're not trying to impress anyone with it besides just getting your own ideas across which is still how I make my shorts Sophie Rambari is a filmmaker based in Toronto whose film Pumpkin Movie screened at True False 2018. 
Her film Norman Norman is now streaming on Eon Video, that's A-E-O-N dot C-O, and you can find more of her work on her website at sophie, S-O-P-H-Y dot M-E. That's it for this week's episode of the True False Podcast. This episode was produced by Hannah France with music by Tim Pilcher. You can find more episodes on your podcast app of choice or on our website at kbia.org. True False is on Twitter, at True False, and you can find me at Sebastian Sings. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Thanks for listening.